going to school, but I had no school to go to. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I never went to school till, uh, only very little. When I should be going to school, I was working with farmers down in the county dairy. And uh, I, w I got for six months, the custom there was in my time, you would engage with a farmer to stay with him for six months and work for him, and they would make a deal what he would give you for the time. And uh, I worked for six months. The first time I hired, I worked for six months for £2.10. I hired with a man in County Derry. And, and where was the hiring fair? In the hiring fair of Stramon. You go to the hiring fair, you would have to, you would bring all your belongings with you and a little, they used to call it a bundle, and a, and a, a little, little handkerchief, or a big handkerchief, a muffler, we'll say. And your your uh, little belongings, a shirt or two, and maybe whatever uh, clothes you would have would be all tied up in this little bundle. And that's the way the farmer would know you. And the higher fair, you'd be always carrying your little bundle. Pat Ward, Pat William Villey, was born 86 years ago in a glen of the Bluestack Mountains of Donegal. He's typical of many of the older generation from an area which was and is Irish-speaking, and which must be among the most isolated in Ireland. He's called in a Nimela Donadini. I was near Oshadabalta, where the Behelor's young man, near Oshadabalta, yell and scream. I was, he should, uh, Gober, we should, we Maranoko was near Oshad, he's for the sure year and Balamorus Kogriok, Naglante, you was a broker. You wrote the real news for the Shula Walla. As near Shula should create a shul, Ahanaka Rachid, near Glushkan, Narohar, and the Namshan of Harabi. In the year 1895, the year after Pat Ward was born, the first train linked Ballybuffet, the nearest town on the eastern side of the Kruacha with Glenty's, the nearest town to the west, the two about 26 miles apart. But whatever the railway may have done for the towns and villages in its path, it made little difference to the isolated glens to the south. Most of the people of the Crooks never saw the train and never travelled on it. The odd letter, their only contact with the outside world, arrived no more frequently either. There were only post once a week you would get a letter. Every Wednesday was post day. You wouldn't get no letter, only once a week. And uh, if there was anything urgent or anything, you wouldn't, you wouldn't if, if a letter would come on Thursday to the post office, you wouldn't get it till Wednesday, the following Wednesday. But then if you were near some of the towns, you'd get it much faster than that. Oh, you would get it, I suppose, every, every day there in the towns, but we were far from the towns. 
And they used to have ponies and chaps there to meet the train, I believe. No, we no, we wouldn't be. There weren't many horses at all. And the land was too rough for horses at all. The horse, in fact, would get lost or get drowned in her. <laughs> the ground was too wet and rocky for horses. Well, the, the only thing that the principal way of living they had was a mountain sheep. There's a, that's the principal thing that we used to love on. Mountain sheep. They would have maybe from 40 to maybe 150 or something. According to the, some of them owned a lot of mountain lake. They could keep a lot of sheep. Joe Gibbons of Derogra has plenty of mountain and he owns about 200 sheep in the Cruos today. Joe Gibbons is the father of the only two children from Daragra now attending Kameen School, four miles away. When we first met him, he was collecting the children in his minivan, as he does every day when he's not on the mountains after sheep. We followed the van westwards along the Reeland River, then southwards through the forest, over a narrow bridge and along the rough winding road between the river and Gargine Mountain. Looking across the glen from his home, Joe gave us the geography of the place. Further west along the glen at the foot of Kruofinanyanta mountain on the far side of the river is where Pat Ward was born and his neighbours the Makaluans, uncles of Joe Gibbons and the great storytellers and shanachis of the Kruoks, all gone now. 
Kjærne ko jankel dosen og gårne gjensen og kroe høgges. Det er så det ligger mer av. Det er jo mer av. Høgges ta en skøyle vi gjensen drøtte. Drøtte la fader i og sånn at jeg rommer når vi treffer lam og vi mer skal. Eller når kroe høgges. Det er så drøtte la fader i. Skøylnegruach was closed in fact in 1971, after 64 years of existence. Its last teacher was Marla Bani Kelly, now living at Cumming, and herself a native of the Cruachal. I was told that I was a little bit of 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 a Pat Ward saw both the opening and the closing of Skolnagruach, but ironically he was born at a time when, though the number of young people in the area was large, educational facilities were just not available to them. The first year I was in uh, higher, that, that school was put up, and when I came home, I, the school was up. I remember it. And it's just as... Uh, and then the... The chapel was the same, the Eden, Eden Chapel. I remember it had been built also. Eden Anfa? Yes. And that was the nearest one? That was the nearest one, and that was uh, approximately uh, three miles and a half away from us. Who built the school, do you remember? It was Canon McFadden, parish priest, Gordon Belt. Of Glenties? Glenties, yes. Formerly of Guidor. That's right, that's right. After uh, he left Guidor and he was parish priest in Glentish then, with us. And I remember him well. What sort of a man was he? He had a great reputation, anyhow. He was a very... Uh, a, a very steadfast, daring man. Very, very uh, strict in his uh, ways. I remember he was a great preacher in Irish. He used to terrify us. <laughs> he was preaching Irish all the time. And of course, they would understand nothing else there, most of them. He had none of the troubles in your part that he had in Guidor, of course. No, <laughs> no, he, he had no troubles there. Well, was he highly thought of by the people? He was. The people liked him very well. They liked him well, although he was uh, very strict. And they used to come to... Uh, the, 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 the people couldn't go to Mass there. They only... Uh, the, the, the priest would come around uh, twice a year to the... how to the call at the station. Where he would uh, announce from the, in the chapel that he would being such in a house and such in a day and the, the old people that no, couldn't walk to the mass they would always come to the stations and they would be brought maybe on donkey charts and they would come to the stations when the priest would be there and uh, at one time my father I often heard him r- saying that he uh, remembered the time there was no road at all coming on and the people used to carry everything from about uh, 
they would be carried, some of them had carried four or five miles on their back, everything into the house. There were no road whatever into the houses, into the area. It was regarded as being a very backward area, but uh, really and truly it's not backward anymore because um, the people living uh, in that area now have got their own conveyances. They've got electric light, of course, now, and there's a good tarred road to the uh, district now, so that you could not regard it as being too remote at all at the present time. And yet uh, it's going down. Oh, yes, but uh, the mistake was made years ago by the government. They didn't do anything to... um, preserve that area and um, they looked for the electric light uh, in the year 1954 but at that time they wouldn't get it in uh, under any uh, condition at all now they've got electric light but there's nobody there to enjoy it except a few um, people living on their very own the people of the Kruger seem to have a natural intelligence which has enabled them to overcome the effects of isolation and the lack of educational opportunities in the past. Pat Ward and his people are an example of one family, all of whom did reasonably well in life, and there are many others. Eddie Gibbons, a youthful-looking 76, is postmaster of Cumming, and he did attend the Crook School just a year after its opening. Det vil jeg nye deg så hardt til meg kjært og kjært å bli en vadernete vi ved noe. Vel, vi er lån det inn en skinn og det er noe som er skal i at riverskinn hører vi? Denne vi skal bli i romer lager i år skal og vi må ha her i skal og så well, Shin Pat Ward and Ish far more Shanachish Agus to Leo Gushkriwegis ni Yahishar Skolarium. Yeah, hey. Agus Agus Dahar ni Bushinya. We scholar are they using your Fayor Skol. Agus Agus Fanish Tisha Fat Rokahalad. Vina vina superintendent na gardi shevi vishar skol na gruva. Well, kai shegaro rodan chakta ella aku dan roi gulordi na. We learn again one hari trefils fiolum so wala daku. We should forest olum. We born na gruva untak untak kleste maranaku warandoi na shunkarahi kontas. Hansa has a glagin who can't gas the Hansa have the Nell Elior. But, well schooled or otherwise, people have been leaving the Kruacher as long as anyone can remember. There's nobody living in that nowadays compared to that, compared to then. And uh, at that time they had bad roads, they have good roads in there now, and all sorts of uh, ways of travelling. Compared to then, they would travel the, that time, walk to Glintish and back, or walk to Brock or Ballybuffet and back. Now it's sitting in cars. But it's mostly old people who are there now. Very few young people, no there, school. There are no young or older now. <coughs> there are only, 20 <coughs> there are only 22 people from Yathurnan 
after fraud till you go to Stucka. You know Stucka? 22 people. People? Now that's not families even. Oh, people. <laughs> yes. 22 people altogether. And very few of those would be young people. Well, just three or four. And there are only a couple going to the school here, in fact. They're only, they're only two, Joe's two children, Joe Gibbons' two children, and it's only Lately. They went to school, they tried oh, uh, out and in to get transport, and they couldn't get it. Nyal dinya la faalir wumutya la kodju la faal vas gari va kuorto kodji honya lamo no wunt. Nyal dinyam. Nyal iskan kedjam tri tahir nyamlanda akata shaka jata mahal valaha nyadan. Shana walkona yam. Tata her hamakshan drakje. if the people had been there, they had to do something to survive. Of course, they're getting money now, easy, they see it's different from them. They had to, they had to have that time. The children, they kept. Uh, Every house had, had hens. Now the van man's out selling eggs instead of, instead of buying the man, selling butter. They all had their homemade butter, and the summer especially. And uh, it's changed a lot. It's changed for the better, of course, but uh, I don't know. I think any, anybody keeping cows should have their own butter. And any... any Farmers have their own eggs as well. But they have a travelling shop too. Oh, it's all a travelling shop. They don't have to go out for their groceries. They come to the door. Even to the door, you haven't to go to the road. Even the sheep, which were once driven to Brock Fair or the 12 miles to Glenties, are nearly all sold at home these days. The man from the Kruacha spends nearly all his life involved with animals. Cattle, though much less nowadays than formerly, dogs, foxes, badgers, even birds at times, but always with sheep, the constant topic of conversation and debate. They're not very intelligent. They're, they're, they're thieves now. They'll thieve into good grass or into your <laughs> field of oats, maybe, all right. 
Well, then mm -hmm. that it, it takes a, a thief to be intelligent too. Yeah, there's a lot of intelligence for themselves, all yes. right. But did you ever hear of any of them part coming to pit to potato pits, or as they used to call them in Donegal, pits of praise? Oh pits, yes, pits the, of praise. Oh yes, the uh, and hooking down the clay with her four feet. Yes, they have intelligence in that line, all right. They, uh, you might have a pot of potatoes now covered with clay, we'll say. Mm. And the sheep will come and, with her, and they'll scrape with their front feet feet until they make a hole into the potatoes. That's right. And uh, scrape them and eat them. Well, did you ever hear of a yo that knew the time that the men would be out in the field as well, is that when they went in for their dinner, if there was anyone calling for their dinner, she would come down from the hill and no. get down to the pit, and before they would be back again in the field, she would be gone up the hill again. Yeah, I never heard Well, that no. happened in our place. That's right. Yes, in Mina Wiljeri. Paddy Campbell comes from the southeastern side of the Blue Stacks, from the area between Loch Esk and the Great Gap of Barnes Moor. There's no similar gap in the Blue Stacks themselves, so the northern and southern glens are completely cut off from each other. But the way of life is very much the same on both sides. A lot of mountain people, you see, have two dogs, but one of them is accustomed to take the top of the hill if they're taking sheep down off the mountain. One of them would always go to the right-hand side of a flock of sheep and the other to the left-hand side, and you wouldn't even have to tell them that. They got into that system, do you see, of doing it. But as we were talking about how to train them, you'd see a young pup, you know, and following chickens first and gathering up the chickens that they would find around the, 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 the houses, you know. And you would say to yourself, well, this is going to be a good dog. He's taken an interest quite early. And that's how the, the mountain people usually get to know what was going to be a good sheepdog. There'd be dogs, though, that would attack the sheep, kill them even. Well, any of them will do that. Because if they're following, coming in groups, you know, or maybe if a bitch is in heat or something, they would start off. And if there's one villain among, the, among them, uh, they will, they'll kill sheep and the rest of them will follow suit. And once they get a taste of their blood, then it's good luck to them after that. Did you ever hear it said, Pat, that it's the good dog would kill the sheep? Yes, very often it's the case. And uh, they're very intelligent. They'll not kill sheep in their own neighbourhood. They'll, uh, they'll go a good distance, maybe two or three miles away, and they'll kill sheep there. And uh, they'll come on their way back, they'll, they'll go into a stream and, and wash their wash blood off, the, yes. off themselves. That and is known, all right. Yeah, they'll go in and wash themselves if there's any blood on them. Yeah, walk through a stream In case they would be blamed for mm. it. Yes. Yeah, but a good sheepdog, even a killer, if you're working with him on the mountain or on sheep, he'll never offer to kill a sheep while he's taking them home or while you're with them themselves. It's only when there's, there's, there's a, a gang of them together that they really go in for this mischief of killing sheep. In the mountain areas, another great source of worry for the sheep farmer is the fox. Well, indeed, the, the foxes uh, at the present time, indeed, and in all down the years, there were, there were a menace around the mountains and coming down for chickens and all this sort of thing, and the old doors never were very good. I remember the time that there was, uh, that it was branches tied together. They called them shegos, and they were tied with uh, ropes, straw ropes or hay ropes that was made, 
uh, there'll be a bundle or an armful of, of black sully branches cut and the tender ones and them put together and there'll be three ropes put on them, one and one each end and one in the middle and they would be stuck onto the doors of the fowl houses often. But uh, that reminds me anyhow of, of um, one spring they used to always talk about old Donald Kelly and Donald used to put the yews they were all around the mountains and they used to take them. This, this year there was very heavy snow and he put in five or six of them into a byre that he thought was lambing that night. That was the custom in those days. And uh, the first race in the morning when Donald got up was to go around to see if there was any young lambs born during the night. But he, he pulls this old shega out of the byre door. It kept in sheep but it couldn't keep out a fox. <laughs> So the fox was always able to crawl in at the side of the branches, you see, and get in. He discovered anyhow that there was a fine old lamb uh, dropped sometime during the night and was lying dead. And here was the red dog, the mother Rua, lying beside the lamb. And the poor mother, Yo, standing overhead, looking down at her lamb. So he come to the conclusion anyhow that... Uh, the yo had, uh, after the fox had killed the lamb, that the yo had hit the the fox with her horns, of course, though some of them was quite aggressive and would defend their their uh, lambs to the last. And uh, the fox was uh, obviously was dead as far as Donald was concerned. So he lifted him by the legs and threw him out. He says, you have the damage done anyhow to me now. He says, you're good for nothing. So he says, my fine lamb's gone. So the minute the fox was thrown outside of the door, up he got and made off. <laughs> so Donald had two disappointments then. He had his lamb dead and the fox gone off. Well, this is an illustration of the cuteness of the oh, fox. Of the cuteness of the fox, exactly. Yeah. Because of the remoteness, a way of life survived in the Croche, which had died out even in the strongest Gaeltacht areas of Donegal. The crafts associated with the carding and spinning of wool, naturally enough, lasted longer. And even yet, Bridget McLoon of Crochvin and Yantha has her small spinning wheel, now unused. I remember my mother and, and my sister carrying and spinning and they used to have what they, what they used to call the camp three or four there'd be seven or eight there'd be two carrying for every one that was spinning and then they made the yarn and sent it away to the weaver to get it made into cloth they made, they made blankets or uh, homespun, any homespun, uh, and uh, that died out. In fact, one one of the wards was a weaver, and he was a guard after that. James Ward, his brother Patrick's. Hmm. They did a lot of weaving themselves in that house. Well, they did, but uh, it didn't last so long. But he, it was very good while it lasted. He was a very good weaver. We used to make clothes, make blankets and uh, suit lengths, 
and it used to be all done under a ro one roof. It was carded, spun, and woven, and all made ready for the tailor. The, and there was nothing paid, only to, the tailor paid to make the suits. The, uh, the wool was our own, and my mother and sister carded and spun it, and my brother waved it, and uh, all used to be done in the one house, and in the one house, and uh, all was to be paid was the tailor mm. to make the suit. And that's, that, w I had a suit of it, and I wore it and wore it like I was tired wearing it. And I got it dyed then a different colour, and I wore it and wore it, and I got tired of it uh, that way, even a different colour, and I, I gave it away in the end. <laughs> I never, never could wear it out. With the blankets, there was another process to them that was very interesting in those days too. Yeah. There were the, the scouring of the blankets when they were completed, when they were woven. It was a great effort, you know, and no one wanted money. Money was a sort of an unknown commodity at the time, except just for... They, we, they, they lived nearly, they were 95%, you know, self-supporting. But uh, uh, the gathering up of the material for the, the scouring of, of blankets was, was a big job. It was urine from both the humans and the animals, was gathered in barrels or tubs. And it was, uh, yes, it was kept, uh, it was kept until such time as there would be uh, uh, scouring the blankets, and it was kept in these barrels. But there was water got then as well, and it was put into the the black pots, a couple of black pots, there might be a fire even set outside in a black pot pot put on, and it would come to a boil, and there would be about three pounds of black soap put into each pot. And uh, there was half doors on most of the houses, and there was a, a, a door, a good door, one of the best they could get, maybe put down at the back of the half door. And there might be a block put on one side, uh, on each side, and two men would get down when the blankets was ready to be scoured. And a blanket would be put in between the two men after it first been soaked in boiling water and the boiling soap, and they kept they kept uh, pounding the blanket bl the blanket with each leg, the right and the left, and it would be the two rights together, do you see, and the two lefts together. With the result, the blanket was continually turned round on the platform, and soaked. But then after it had had got a, a maybe about. 15 minutes of this pound first, there was then a small uh, dish of the urine put down on it as well, and some more soapy water. And this was kept going on for about an hour and a half until finally all the oil of the wool was completely cleaned out of the, the completed blanket. Then it was washed out with the hot water, a pot of hot water, and the same method. The, the men kept turning and uh, uh, working away with their, their legs, do you see, each side, you see, and the blanket was turning around all the time on the platform until it was completely uh, cleaned out and was then spread out on a thorn hedge. So when that was taken in, you could wrap yourself in it, and I tell you, you would get warm. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> The fate of the Krucha as a community, the decline in numbers, the craftsmanship which once flourished, are all symbolised in a way in the person of Pat Ward, one of the oldest people from the area 
now living in St. Patrick's Home for Old People in Kilmainham, Dublin. With wool, which might have come from the sheep of his native place, Pat crochets beautiful rugs and tapestries, and with fine copper wire he weaves his own designs into bangles and brooches, holy water font holders and St. Bridget's crosses. But he is the last of the craftsmen from the Croche. I just designed them in my own mind. I never saw them anyone doing them. I never saw anyone... I never saw anyone made. Mm. I d- designed them in my own mind and forced and started to work on that. And uh, it, happened to, it happened to come to be success. Uh, they come out nice. Vad 
Musicians of the Kruacha are gone, the great storytellers, the step dancers, the craftspeople who once flourished. As more and more houses are left uninhabited, the Irish language goes too. Like the narrow mountain road which peters out as it goes west, the remnants of another Fiorelta community look like coming to a slow and glorious end. Few are optimistic about its survival. Well, I cannot see how it's going to be saved. I don't think there's any future in it. And it's a great pity. It's uh, mainly old people who are left in it now. Yes, the remnants of big families. Just one person, one man, uh, left in in each house there at the moment. And there are numerous ruins to be seen along the road there as well. Oh, yes, yes, there are. There were ruins there even 20 years ago, but now, of course, there are more ruins there. And it's also picturesque as well. It's a very beautiful area. I don't think there's any place in the Ring of Kerry, although it's famous in song and story, I don't think there's a place there equal to the beauty of the crows on a summer's day. Is there any future for it, do you think, as a tourist area? You see, that is the mistake that was made by the government uh, years ago. It should have been developed as a tourist area, um, say, 20 years ago. But... Uh, as far as I can see now, there is no future for it except um, whatever the Department of Lands probably will do in, in future time. 